Welcome to Tea O'Clock with Keller. Bring your tea and leave with more. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to the final episode of Series 4. Three. Three. Oh, I got ahead of myself there, didn't I? Series three. Oh my god, we've done three series. How does that feel? A little bit crazy. Mm. Quite a bit crazy. Yeah. Meaning, I'm pretty sure we're going to hit the 100 episode mark next series. Oh my god, what are we going to do for that? We're going to have to do something big and special. Yeah. Maybe try and be in, be in person to record that one. Yeah, but it's so much easier not having to travel to Cornwall. Yeah, exactly. It'll be so much easier when we're only a couple of hours away from each other. Yeah. But it's exciting. Exciting prospects. Exciting, indeed. Um, I think this is a lovely episode to end on, talking mm-hmm. all things children's literature, which yeah. we're both practically experts in now. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's lovely. It's, you know, talking about all like reminiscing you know end of the series looking back yeah my childhood and I think you know we just love chatting about books don't we it's our fave thing so and I don't think we've very much in depth talked about children's literature with each other before I think we've done the kind of typical kind of like nostalgic-y things but I think this will be very interesting and very fun for us but before that should we discuss what we've been consuming? I think we should indeed. Hey Ella, what have you been consuming this week? I have been reading, I guess, kind of in the children's literature <laughs> vibe. I read Salman Rushdie's Haran and the Sea of Stories yeah. this week, which I absolutely love. It was the first Rushdie novel I've ever read. I loved his writing it was so beautiful and just the whole the whole premise of the book is just so sweet it manages to be political but not political and cyclical but not really I don't know it's just an absolute wonder to read Mm. as an adult as well as I could imagine it being so entertaining to read for a child as well yeah. I would highly, highly recommend that one. Can I just jump off of that and shout out? You know, I've, it's literally been the first chapter or so. He says something about like the grief of the city. Like, I don't know there's that line, but it's really beautiful. Like, I still remember that. Yeah, there were so many bits that I was just underlining different mm-hmm. lines because they were just so beautiful. Big fan of that. I have been listening to, oh, Georgina will be very, very proud of me. I've been listening to Billy Lockett a bit because I was listening to her on repeat on Spotify and have become very invested in both Sushi and Last Thing on My Mind. Last Thing on Your Mind? Last Thing on My Mind? I can't remember, but both quite different types of songs, but... Sushi is so catchy, so fun, and last thing on your mind is just really sweet and romantic and emotional and sad. So two quite polar opposite songs, but big fan of Billy Lockett. And then I've been watching season two of Shadow and Bone, but I'm not that invested in it. And I've also, I actually watched the first episode of Downton Abbey again yesterday 
oh. and it filled a nice period drama hole yeah. in my life. So I'll probably watch some more Downton Abbey today. <laughs> Have you seen yeah. all of it, like the films and everything? I haven't seen the films. Mm. I've seen the se- all of the series definitely once. I haven't seen the films, so I'll get around to them at some point, for sure. Yeah. Hey, Kerry, what have you been consuming this week? Uh, in terms of listening, I listen to the movie podcast. It's, it's just called that because I'm still reeling from you. Yeah. Oh, we haven't spoken about you. Wait, have you watched all of series four? Yeah. <gasps> what? Why How have we not spoken about this with each other? When did I... you watch it? I watched... Part one, the week it came out, and part two, yeah. the week it came out. Oh my god, what? I think it's because I I didn't watch it until maybe a couple of weeks ago. I watched it all in one go. Yeah. Because I was just waiting because I knew I was going to have to watch it all in one go. What? Oh my god. And yeah. I guess with how our kind of podcasting has been, yeah. we, haven't, we haven't brought it up because there's been so much other stuff going on. So many thoughts. I don't don't want to talk about it on the podcast because I just don't want to spoil it at all like normally like that's what we do but no I can't yeah we'll we'll debrief on you at a later date yeah 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 we'll do that later however so I was like I just need to listen to someone talk about it like because quite often when I finish reading a book if it's really good I'm like I want to hear someone else talk about that so I literally just type you season four into Spotify and that's what came up Uh, it's three guys in America talking about it they just split it into part one and two they're about 20 minute episodes each so if you want to find out more well not to find out more but just hear other people's reactions and feel validated especially in terms of like just liking Joe which I still feel bad about well I don't <laughs> like him at the end but you know obviously you kind of the whole point is you're supposed to root for him as you go along so yeah, yeah you've got a level um, of charisma and likability yeah which, yeah which the guys were saying on the podcast I was like okay it's not just me like that is the point because I was like oh so yeah I listened to that uh and then for reading I recently read The Yellow Kitchen by Margot Villaron I don't know how you say her name I believe she's French and it's lit thick and it's so so beautiful I gave it four stars and I now want to make everyone read it. It only came out last year and it's a story of three friends and the girls, are, I think they're all in their 20s, they're quite young and they all live in London and it's such a London book and it's mainly about their friendship but so much of it is about food. It's so that like your mouth's watering as you're reading it because one of them's a baker and mm. she is constantly cooking Oh, it's so delightful. Like, I feel hungry. Wait, let me <laughs> I feel hungry thinking about it. But also, it says this on the blurbs, so it's not a spoiler, but like maybe a third of the way through the book, the girls go on holiday and then two of them sleep together. And then the dynamics shift after that. So that's quite interesting to read about. It's yeah, really interesting. It's so good. It's really like Sally Rooney. Mm. So I recommend that a lot. And then for watching, I did, I'm not going to say too much about it, but I did go and watch A Streetcar Named Desire at the Phoenix Theatre. And it was really 
beautiful and I did I got all teary watching it and I I haven't spoken about it to you yet because I just want to wait until you've seen it and then discuss but of course I goes without saying I was incredible and I think you can actually still get tickets for it because they've released their they've extended the run by one or two weeks and I think there yeah. might be some tickets left so you might yeah. still be with the chance of watching it but if not they'll definitely have to record it put out in cinemas because they know that would like so many people still want to watch it so they know how popular it is uh, I have to say because we got the 25 pound tickets because students don't have money and I thought oh we're gonna see nothing like how like when we went to watch the seagull we were that mm-hmm. high up like, I thought I was gonna be like that but I forgot because the Phoenix Theatre is so small. Well, yeah, it is. Like their equivalent of like the super top tier in the gods is actually more like the middle of any standard theatre. So actually, we could see perfectly. They weren't that far away. It was a really good view still. So if they have, I don't know if they have any cheap tickets left. But if you're concerned about that, then it's actually absolutely fine. Amazing. But yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that for now. And. Um, on to children's literature. On to children's literature, indeed. And we can start off on a nostalgic note, talking about what kind of book got to be read yeah. as children that we really enjoyed. Okay. Stand out books from your childhood. Oh my god, you sent me down some kind of memory rabbit hole. Like, <laughs> I was just thinking, Ina Blyton, which we're going to discuss a lot later. So I'll leave that for now. And then I was thinking Jacqueline Wilson, obvious. Yeah. You know, I was like, I genuinely couldn't remember who else I was reading. So now I was looking through my old Goodreads, which I no longer use. And I've come up with so many, like the Rainbow Fairies books, right? Yeah. I'm just like real somewhat of, and then we can like real. talk about whatever we want. Also, I was thinking about like Harry Potter, obviously. Kathy Cassidy. Oh, oh I like that you forgot about that. I was such a Kathy Cassidy stan. I loved Kathy Hopkins as well. Well, that's getting a bit more into teen books, YA, but I did read that in primary school. Obviously, there was Bolt and Our Stars, which again is like a bit more YA, but I read that when I was quite young. And yeah. Princess Diaries as well, actually. I yeah. loved. Also, when I was super, super young, the Maisie Mouse books and the Rainbow Fish book, like the picture book, did you read that? Yeah, I can picture yeah. Rainbow Fish. Yeah, and someone I completely forgot about was, have you ever read Jean Year? So, no. Oh, she, her covers are so distinctive. Like, I basically forgot I read her until I saw it. But I'm going to send you a picture of it right now because it unlocked so many memories. I don't know about you, but you know when you have the workshop for the children's literature module at Extra Uni, um, the picture books, did you go through them it'd be like oh my god I completely forgot about these because it's just yeah seeing them I was like what like you know the one where there's a, a star and she has and she puts a plaster on it because it's fallen and she looks yeah. I was like, what 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 is this no yeah. seeing them all just unlocks so many memories and it just throws you yeah. right back it's like you occasionally see things like that on Instagram it's like some kind of toy that you would have that every yeah. primary school classroom had and it just oh. unlocks that memory. And books are so like that. And I know I've got so mm-hmm. many of my old kind of children's books in the oh. loft at home. Yeah. So oh. I know that when we go through that box, that's going to unlock so many memories. Yeah. 
that's so cute that you kept them all as well because I don't really have any of mine anymore anyway fill us in on the crime that you were reading all the ones you mentioned apart from the last ones but also I loved the Lauren Child ones I guess obviously Charlie and Lola but then Clarice Bean and then when she came out with the a bit later we were a bit older when she came out with the Ruby Redford ones iconic loved pretending or pretending to be a spy and trying to figure out those puzzles that she put in those ones sorry that's unlocked such a memory I will because obviously I know Charlie and Lola Clarice utterly me Clarice Bean yeah I remember getting that from the library wait what was the other one Ruby Ruby Redford and she is a character she's a literary character in the Clarice Bean books she's like in a book that Clarice Bean reads and then she and wrote this whole other series of books with her I think I only read the first couple oh I don't know if I read those but wow you're unlocking so many memories did you read that gives me vibes of the Gallagher girls books the spy books yes oh my god stop I guess going back to quite early childhood I loved the little grey rabbit books my nanny used to read those to me. So sweet. I think I remember those more so than any of the Peter Rabbit books. I remember the Little Grey Rabbit ones more. Um, did you ever read the Anthony Horowitz Diamond Brothers books? No, I wasn't. As far as I went with Adventure was Famous Five. Yeah, they were top notch. I remember reading those in year six and absolutely loving them. This pair of detective brothers. Oh. It was so good. Read all the Lemony Snicket books as well. That was a big part of my kind of late primary school. And then I was a big fan of fairy tales. I know that sounds really, really boring and mainstream, but I loved the little fairy tales and I had this really beautiful hardback book which had a load of different versions of different fairy tales in that I used to love reading. I mean, me too. I don't think that's boring. Yeah. What were your favourite fairy tales? Did you ever read The Magic Porridge Pot? No, tell me more. (laughs) There was this one called The Magic Porridge Pot where there was this little village and there was this woman who she'd make the best porridge ever. I think some kind of some form of witch or something offered to come and help her to provide porridge for everyone. And then the spell ends up going wrong and the whole town gets flooded with porridge because this porridge pot just won't stop making porridge. I don't know why. I don't even like porridge. I've never liked porridge. (laughs) But I love the magic porridge pot story. Wow. Oh, my God. Um, That is just reminded me of oh my god we're just unlocking all the memories here and I encourage everyone listening along if something you're like "Mm, I kind of vaguely remember but I'm not sure google it as we're doing that's what I've been doing if you hear typing because I look at a picture and I'm like yeah oh my god anyway back on track did you ever watch a series on CITV that was on probably just before Horrid Henry I don't know Mm. what it was called but it was kind of grizzly reimagining the fairy tales no i think i can remember oh my god i think I I this, the guy with the funny face and oh. they were kind they weren't they were almost like puppets 
but not. Oh, the thing is, I don't even know what it's called. Were they? Because it wasn't Tales of the Unexpected. That's like an adult version. But I can remember the old the old guy. Um, and there were some really weird ones. Oh, actually, you know what I was thinking of? I found it actually quite easily. I was thinking of wolves, witches, and giants. Oh, that's not what I was thinking of. Because it had a really creepy guy with like, hang on, let me send you the picture. <laughs> this is so helpful for everyone who cannot see the pictures. Can you see the creepy guy that I've sent you? Oh, it's just loading. Oh, yes. Yes. No, that's the guy I'm thinking of. Is that the, that, I don't know, is he from that? That's what I was thinking, that guy. Yes. Basically. That's the guy I'm thinking of as well. Yeah. I completely forgot that that was called Wolves, which I don't giant. know. So was was he in that? No, he was. He was because that's the creepy guy I was remembering, and that's why I was like, "Oh, puppets, but not puppets." Yeah. No, because I remember some of those. So. Oh vividly. no, no! Do you know what it is? Grizzly tales for gruesome kids. I don't know why he came up with that, but I think this is a separate show. That. Sound more for me than Wolves, Witches yeah. and Giants. Do you know, I did actually watch that Wolves, Witches and Giants one, but no. Um, what I meant was this, this like Grizzly Tales for Gruesome Kids. Kid. Yeah, that's it. We got there, guys. That's that's the one. <laughs> yeah, that has unlocked so many memories. And I'm I so know. glad I now know what it's called. Yeah. But Wolves, Witches and Giants is a children's book series that was turned into a cartoon. Oh, I think maybe. interesting. It's definitely a children's book series from the Googling yeah. I've done. Ooh. Wow. But yeah, oh, obviously, go back and think of children's literature books that you read, children's literature books that you read as a child and things you watched, and do some Googling because it unlocks so many memories. It's so fun. Julia Donaldson picture books. Which I'm sure oh my everyone God. read. Yeah, I'm still searching for, no one seems to remember she wrote this book called Sharing a Shell and no one knows what I'm on about. And it's, it's Is that the one with the hermit crab? Yeah! And I, ah, I love that. That was our go-to book. Yeah. I'm so happy. Please, everyone search it up. Thank you. Did you read the monkey puzzle book? Oh, that rings a bell. Hang on, I'm googling. It was Ju- it was a Julia Donaldson one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I've seen it. I know. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Did you read Where's Your Smile, Crocodile? Yeah. Top notch. And the dentist I used to go to had a big mural of that crocodile in like really? the kids section of the waiting room at the dentist. Oh, oh my Sorry. god. I literally, I'm just looking at the pictures of it, and oh my god, that is just the memories that are unlocked. I know. Wow. Sorry, we haven't really got into any cool analysis yet, but we will with later questions. But I just yeah. think this is such a fun, like, we're just providing you all these books for you to go away and look up and be like, oh, no way. Yeah. Definitely. If you still have some of your children's books at home, go look at them, or even just like, rejog your memory and just go look at the children's section in the yeah. library i guess there are lots of new things now but yeah, true. 
there are still those old familiar favourites that I found whilst looking in the children's section of the yeah. library one of my essays. <laughs> I love that. It's so wholesome looking back at these books. And I, I just already feel so much happier than when I woke up. Yeah, because it makes such an impression on yeah. our mind and stick with you. And I guess I'm sure we'll talk about this more later, but I guess that's the one of the powers of children's literature. The yeah. kind of stuff you can you learn and take in mm. from it. Yeah. Unconsciously as well as consciously. Yeah, so true. Yeah. There are so many things that we could talk about right now based off of the, all the books that we've just said but I'm wondering whether to go on to because Ella's very kindly come up with some <laughs> questions dear us and so I'm wondering whether oh we could jump on to the next one analytical web yeah to go carry on yeah so the next question that I proposed was do you think it's a prerequisite that children's literature teaches you something can you have a children's book that doesn't teach and is this a positive or negative attribute? Ooh. I think on a level, children in, are always learning. Mm. I mean, obviously, people are still learning as adults, but you learn at a much faster rate and you have a lot more to learn as a child as you're growing up. So I say, even if they're maybe not consciously teaching, they're teaching about the world. Well, I don't think it's a prerequisite, but I think it. Like you're right in saying your follow-up question of like can you have a children's book that doesn't teach mm. I was like you know what actually no it's, it's physically impossible it's not necessarily like prerequisite but like whatever you write for children they're going to learn from it it might yeah. not be you know like learning you don't have to be uber didactic as in some of the books that we studied for this module like it doesn't have to be a governess one where it's all these yeah problems, like story yeah it doesn't have to mean that way but I think inevitably it, the idea you said of like, just learning about the world mainly yeah. learning empathy I yeah. think there's so many studies that show the more you read the more emotionally intelligent you are or the more empathetic yeah. and so I think we're reading you just understand yourself better understand other people better and definitely so pretty much every I can't think of how you could read a book and not learn something I think also for adults as well as children like every single book ever you're going to have some kind of takeaway whether like whether it's just reinforcing something that you already know basically I'm just going over yes it yeah it doesn't teach you something I I definitely agree with you I think you put that in a really clear way yeah I mean whether say if you think about the Little Miss and Mr. Men books. Oh, iconic. Which I love those so much. Those are very clearly set out intending to teach something. I think yeah. it's differences between like, having an intention to teach and just you learning something anyway. You yeah, know I mean, it's more about intention, I think we're talking about. With that, that's so clear, as in they'll have a book like Mr. Greedy. And then at the end of it, you're like, oh, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be greedy. That's not very nice. So there are those kind. But I think it makes more sense that quite often a lot of the books for like super young readers, you are learning something because there's so much for them to learn about the world, wherever it be like, oh, like how do trees grow or something? Yeah. I don't know. Or like even Hungry Caterpillar. 
So, you know, you learn Caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Yeah, exactly, and you learn counting. Yeah, I think that <laughs> it is, I think it's really important slash helpful that there is some kind of, like, whether it be counting or, like, vocab. I think, like, the story could be about pretty much anything, but maybe, like, just introducing new vocab. I just... Yeah. Geology is just so exciting. I'm kind of going off on the whole thing here, but as I'm talking, I'm just thinking of more and more examples of books where I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Like you, without even really realizing you're learning whatever. But then there might be other books, like, say, okay, let's bring up Famous Five again, mm-hmm. where it's not explicitly attempting, like, oh, we're going to teach them how to count, but it might be more so just like, okay, like, this is what a friendship's like yeah exactly like they'll make a mistake and then carry on from it and learn from it no definitely and I think that's why books is so wonderful that you're able to explore all of these different things and Mm. teach and learn in all these different ways and it feels very accessible yeah to everyone isn't it just teachers also just imagination and being able to figure out the morals take what you want from the story think like kind of early versions of critical thinking about yeah what's written in a very kind of basic sense because obviously isn't it super interesting as well how interactive children's books are and I love things like I'm thinking about the Maisie Mouse books how they have all the can you find this all the questions and then having the tactile elements as well yeah. I love that because it's a kind of a shame as you get older that you don't have it's less direct really it's... yeah there's more of a separation between the reader and the author and the characters yeah in adult literature yeah I miss it I want to find something yeah like I want to read a book where the character or the author breaks the fourth wall and addresses you yeah. within the book like I miss that I can think of the occasional like example or two like I'm pretty sure there's oh but it's not really quite right because there's a line in Dorian Gray where it's kind of kind of the omniscient narrator putting their yeah. own their own opinion in on what's going on but it's not really addressing the reader in that sort of way yeah. but I think that kind of reader writer character address yeah. blurring those lines in children's literature is so interesting and children's literature is such a kind of fun experimental place to exist I think you get so much cool groundbreaking stuff yeah happening so much experimentation and fun at the end of the day yeah that's so true I'm thinking about breaking the fourth wall and I think that's more of a something that happens in plays like yeah fools or waiting for Godot maybe yeah I miss that it's just journalist literature is so visual so often Mm. I can't think of any books I've read really that until maybe like the ones that intended more for teenagers that don't or even some of those like in at the bottom where the page number was they do a little flower or something like Mm -hmm. you and I I miss that I wonder if 
well, there's probably a lot of reasons to explain the rise of graphic novels, but I do yeah. wonder if some of it in the successive parts stuff, as well as with Netflix, if that is to do with actually we want some kind of visual thing. Because why why don't we have that? Because I know with children, it, you know, like it. I don't know whether it's a question of like attention span, but you know, clearly it is easier for children to have visual stuff. It makes it more engaging for them because they're not going to sit and read a load of words like we are. But even so, like we just because we're older doesn't mean that we don't want visual things anymore. Exactly, and it's not to say that it would make. Well, it would definitely if there were more visual elements in books and stories aimed towards adults as well I think that would really help people who say have certain different learning disabilities or it takes them a bit more time or things like that and it would make kind of adult books feel more accessible to everyone because children's books are accessible to anyone and everyone like you could give a child who can't read a children's book that is half words, half pictures, and they'd still yeah. find so much joy in it, even not knowing the words. And so, it's a shame that there's not kind of version of that for adults. Yeah. Well, like, I guess maybe in, I'm thinking of how so many books used to be serialised, and there are actually quite a few illustrations to go alongside those as well. Yeah, definitely. They normally always had some form of um oh what was what's the right what's the correct term the victorian term for engravings to go stories yeah and And it's a shame that you don't really get that yeah Um, we should bring that that up is that just to do with the format and it makes more sense in a newspaper that you'd have that like you're really selling it you know that makes sense and i guess like you said before now we've got things like more graphic novels and comics and that sort of thing so maybe that's the answer to that more visual side of storytelling yeah true interesting very interesting yeah Hmm. i'm conscious that we have a lot of questions so and not much time let's move on let's move on to the next question to talk about Ah, i thought we should talk about women we should talk about women I was really glad you brought this question up. And do you know what? I hadn't thought about it before. So I'm glad you asked. Because? Okay, so the actual question is... Oh, yeah, sorry. Go on. Why has it taken so long for females to be more than stereotypes in children's literature? Because I feel like even in quite recent from the past 30, 30, 40 years of children's literature, maybe, okay, maybe we're going more 50 years because I think I wrote this because I was thinking of Watership Down. And oh. there is literally like two women. I know they're rabbits. But even in the 70s, and I guess potentially even in, I'm just using examples from the stuff I looked at this week in children's mm-hmm. literature class. Um, but even in Rushdie's novel, there aren't that many women. Yeah, true. But even in picture books of today and whatever and other things, this females still seem to be stereotyped. And I don't know whether part of it is do children's authors try to are they trying to kind of teach and make children aware of these stereotypes and these kind of conventions in order to then because having knowing and having those conventions then allows them to understand how they're kind of twisted and parodied or changed 
I don't basically I don't know but I feel like gender representation isn't haven't gone as far as it should yeah in children's literature I'm thinking that I suppose we're talking about two different things here the having a lack of representation for women anyway not really having female characters and then secondly about the characters we do have those being stereotypes yeah and I'm wondering on the first account of not really having a lot of female characters is that more so to do with the text you mentioned written by male authors potentially yeah and is it that maybe we prefer to write more about our own gender it's easier like if you think with Jacqueline Wilson all her characters pretty much are female but then is that because her readership is girls pretty much like so I'm not so sure about that one but I have a lot of thoughts in terms of why the female characters are stereotyped and is it it easier for children to read archetypes and that's what I was thinking they're not as is there as much time in children's literature to do fully drawn out explained three-dimensional characters perhaps that's a bit harsh of me but I think what you mean because you've you're kind of simultaneously teaching all these different archetypes which they might not know and you've got they've got to get that foregrounding base knowledge somewhere to then understand later texts which kind of challenge those archetypes I just think like it depends on what age what kind of children's books we're talking about but I think we're talking about like before middle grade but mm. those books like, is it you just don't have the space for nuanced characters you literally yeah, don't have yeah, the word yeah. count but I don't yeah. know but then okay say take something like Mallory Towers your absolute fave with that I think that it relies a lot on archetypes it does and yeah. like you have you know like the naughty one you have the quiet one the cheeky one yeah, like the Those golden kind of, girl one. Yeah. And like, is that just a trope of children's books in general that they don't necessarily mean to reinforce stereotypes, but it's just like easier for children to craft the characters, like it, having that one trait kind of thing? Yeah. And I think, I think that is a point because I think I read something about the children having that kind of stability within a character, having. A, quite a simple character who has their one trait that they mm. kind of abide to throughout the whole thing yeah. is a lot more interesting and easy for children to understand and having those kind of closed cyclical yeah endings that's it's easier for them to find the entertainment in that as opposed mm. to I think adults who like having characters with contrasting elements to themselves so I I wonder whether they like you were saying they kind of use these stereotypes and archetypes one because of space and because it's easier and more entertaining for children as they're learning and as they're trying to figure out to be like oh this is the the mean character this is the nice character this is the funny one because that's more how their brains work yeah so I'm not like looking down on and criticizing no children's literature for this I'm just saying it's interesting that that's how it is and maybe by understanding how children's brains work more we can understand what works best and why children like certain children's books more 
yeah I agree yeah. and I'm also thinking is it to do with say okay maybe less so in kind of like fantasy stories but in some of the school stories stick with my towers is it that these books are you stereotypes because that's what it was like in the context like is yeah. it say like in the schools the girls would be doing like home ec until like what like 70s 80s even so is it more like to do with they're representing the realities more so so yeah I think so because I think a lot of children's literature does that I think you have to be really aware of when the book was written to yeah be able to understand because they're trying to teach about that current time yeah. to children mm-hmm. I do think that um it's getting a lot better now though I think it also yeah. is less of a case in more like fantasy kind of books mm. as well but I also think it's like a marketing thing in that as we get older I think it perhaps is less clear-cut what well I think you can safely assume that more female readers are going to buy romance books yeah there's so many like lit fic, contemporary fic books that uh, aren't really targeted at a gender. So, but I think with children's books, I think they are very much marketed towards either or gender. So I reckon it's also to do with that, in that it's more like a commercial decision, you know? Yeah. But yeah, yeah definitely. definitely getting better. Um, or just like more representation, really. Like, yeah and you are and you are seeing that in in literature even in children's lit even in like picture books and things and it's yeah. and it's great and I think it's going in the right direction to teach children that yeah. so yeah I can't I guess similar vein but not quite and I think you're gonna have some really enjoy I know you're gonna have some really interesting things to say about this I wanted to ask you what your thoughts are on current, very current conversations, I guess, especially with the Roald Dahl books being re-edited and republished and whatever, what your thoughts are on the, have I word this, censorship censorship and changes being made to reprints of children's books. I do. I guess we'll probably centre this conversation on Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton because they're the kind of current examples. But tell me, Kerry, what are your thoughts? Well... I don't want to say I'm like the authority on this, um, but I have done so much research on both Roald Dahl and Ina Blyton for uni assignments. And do you know what is super interesting? Because I've sent out a survey asking people about their opinions on this, and there's no correlation whatsoever between people's age, like their generation and their views. And Really? I thought there would be. I know. And I'm surprised at how many... I actually, overall, I'm not a fan of editing children's books. Mm. And I think that the solution really is to have a content warning at the start of the book and leave as is. Yeah, I agree. So, like, quite a few adults, I think it depends. Like, I think there's that concern about, like, oh, are we being PC enough nowadays? And so, quite a few, like, older people answering my survey were saying, that kind of thing like oh no we should like remove all the content and then a lot of people our age 
well not a lot like it was mixed but there were those people saying like oh actually do you know what just leave it but it's such I think the problem with editing books and I think children's books is specifically it's an entire different ball game to with adults books because we can make those judgments ourselves when we're reading the book and be like and recognize that oh that's really bad whereas children are so much more impressionable that yeah, that's... I guess they haven't got those critical thinking skills in the same yeah. way that adults do yeah so I think that's why it's such a different ball game with children's books but having said that then it's the like okay what qualifies as a children's book like say the books that we read in secondary schools that are more so classic books do those count as children's books like how mm. early are we talking is it just like primary school age books that we need to be careful of I don't know wait I have so much I could say but I'll, I'll pause for now and let you intervene no because I think my thoughts are the same as the same as your thoughts and like you're saying editing children's literature is is a kind of tricky thing and I guess it kind of goes back to the idea of children of I don't want to say these books being kind of products of their time but obviously every book is mm. a product of its time yeah but I think completely if you're going to completely change it and edit it you might as well just re like write a new a new thing yeah rather than the old one mm-hmm. and put a, put a content warning and maybe then try and use use these things to start conversations with children about these things to then discuss these elements and why why this maybe isn't yeah. isn't right or whatever I don't know if any of that makes sense I don't really know what I'm saying I agree I think but yeah something that oh I, I don't want to put words into your mouth but something that I get from what you're saying is do you remove simply offensive content or do you also remove outdated content and I think that's important if you're going to do it to children's literature then it's like well if you're going to do it to one lot you might as well do it to everything but if you do I don't know it seems like the sort of thing where you can't just go oh I don't like this one this one aspect of oh no that doesn't make I don't know what I'm saying no but I think basically it's slippery slope and I think with the whole like do you remove outdated things as well I think it makes sense right the only thing that I think oh yeah like I don't feel comfortable with that is when they would use like super racist language oh definitely definitely yeah differently about which I was having a conversation with someone else about this and then they said okay yeah but if you take that out what about like can you take this out do you take this out and I was like oh I don't know like that I feel I would not want my children to read those words but so it's that thing of like what's offensive what's outdated like because if it's a product of its oh. time which it is like I think keep the outdated stuff it's oh but then I, I don't know I really don't know it's no. so but I don't, is it more of a case like say what you, uh, okay so say like if you've got the n-word in there right like obviously I don't want my child to read that yeah but like I think because it's one of those things where you learn from it do you like 
leave mm. it but like don't have it fully written like you know how sometimes when they do expletives and they just will like do a line yeah do you do that and then like would you maybe should you like with a content warning the same thing like leave it in and then do an asterisk and then at the bottom of the page be like this was a racist slur used mm. like explain why it's bad yeah. I, mm. it's tricky like you say it's a is a slippery slope because as soon as people start saying oh you should take this out other people go oh you're gonna do that you're gonna do this as well and I feel like there's so much personal opinion and emotion yeah tied to all this that is tricky and I can see why it it's an important conversation but a tricky conversation that I don't think has one clear solution I don't think we'll ever find a solution to it yeah it's very interesting but I think as much as possible just keep it super close to the original text I think perhaps I'd be inclined to make one exception for really discriminatory language yeah yeah but in terms of like not the whole thing of how they you can't say fat anymore I mean think yeah I feel like that is taking it a bit too far things that are more like you know like our protect what is it called like are things that are protected under like the Equality Act that kind of I think in that case that's the Mm. only thing I'd be wary of but I just think like also can I just say right I'm sure a lot of people have said this but the whole like changing fat to enormous would you not be way more offended if someone called you enormous than fat yeah if someone's like you fat if it said enormous I'd be like (gasps) and with with that whole I can't remember whether that example was for the Matilda book or the Charlie and Chocolate Factory. But either way, the characters in those books are very stereotypical characters. Yeah. I guess it goes back to what we were talking about before with these characters kind of based on stereotypes and how that works within children's literature. Yeah. But I just think can't you physically can't edit these children's books because they're such a project of their time and if they be like right this is actually really sexist overall like we've got these complete stereotypes of girls then you'd have to do a complete structural edit and change the story they change the entire characters you physically can't do that so exactly and if you're going to do it to children's books why aren't you doing it to adults books yeah and then okay why would you do that to films yeah I think you know have the content warning people can decide if they want to read it and it might be the case that they simply like just fade out of use maybe people just won't really read them as much anymore and then we have space for all these exciting news stories that are much more like what modern audiences want to read I don't think we can go back and like just edit all these other documents yeah definitely 100% 100% agree and I think that has wrapped up that question oh, ended on like a fiery thing there Oof. yeah no but I think it's it's definitely an important thing I think they're important conversations that parents should be having with other parents and their children and even people like us who don't have children yeah I think it's a very important conversation all good we're gonna jump on to our blonde moments to end 
So, Carrie, who does your final bond moment of the series go to? I need to double check. Just before we did this, I had to search her up to find out her surname. <laughs> and now I've already forgotten it. Oh, okay, Angela Cullen, who is not a member of the Cullen family. Um, and I picked her because I've she's been all over my Insta this week. And she so she worked with Lewis Hamilton for years. Oh, look at me. I've got two F1 Blonde moments in a row. Um, I know. And she, yeah, she's his physio. And I just see her, like, she's constantly with him. And she's basically, like, his PA. Not really, but do you know what I mean? Like, she's always with him. And, yeah, and she's leaving him now. I don't know if she's retiring or what. But he, there's been loads of posts celebrating her and, like, how long she's been in the sport and that kind of thing. And I was like, oh, based on what I was saying last week of how, like, we don't have enough women in F1, I was thinking about, like, oh, yeah, like, what another great woman to highlight, like, that yeah. woman working it. But, like, now that I just Googled it to find out her name, there's been, like, a lot of, turns out there's a lot of beef oh. around it. But, like, they're definitely, like, good friends. And he okay. really likes her a lot. But, anyway... Yeah, she's a pretty cool woman. She does sound pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, who does your blonde moment go to? Mine very unoriginally goes to a children's literature author. <laughs> um, I'm giving mine to Lauren Child. Oh. Because, I mean, I've already mentioned how it's had um, most popular Charlie and Lola books, Farris oh. Bean books, and the Redford books. But I just, I absolutely loved reading her stuff as a child. I'm pretty sure people nowadays still love reading her stuff. I mean, they turned Charlie and Lola into a TV series, which yeah. I'm pretty sure still gets shown on yeah. TV. So I just think, absolute icon. I mean, her child is called Tuesday, which I think is fantastic. What an original wow. name for your child. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it just goes to her and all wonderful female children's literature authors who are out there writing great stuff yeah so yeah lovely yeah oh my god thank you very much for all right this is to another series Ah. we'll be back with a whole host of new new episodes a whole new series probably at some point in the summer so yeah. keep an eye on our updates. Yeah, we can't wait. Thanks for listening to Tea O'Clock with Keller. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>